Well, if you turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 19, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. The text that we are looking at this morning is likely, for most of you, pretty familiar, at least for those who've grown up in the church. In fact, if you went to church as a child, you know the song. You sang it just from this short section of scripture here. Might as well get it over with. <laughs> right? Let's do this. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Lord masting by something <laughs> in that tree and said... That is, okay, two comments that are not in my notes. That is sadly very good. Um, And secondly, if you ever clap louder for Zacchaeus was a wee little man than you do for the gospel, you are in big trouble, okay? I will change my sermon. Here's the thing. That song, all true, right? All comes from the text, but it's only part of the story. It's not even the best part of the story. It just begins the story. Those things all happen, but the glory of this text, of this story, is that once again we see the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners. That is Wonderful news because all of us that walked into this building this morning qualify. We're all sinners. So it is really, really, really good news that God saves sinners. We see it again and again and again and again. And so let's this morning read the text with fresh eyes and no humming. And let's listen to the word with anticipation. Stand, and I'm going to read the text for us. Luke 19, beginning with verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you. Thank you for your word, Lord, that you have entrusted to us. What a gift. What a gift. Apart from it, we would be lost because faith comes from hearing and hearing from your word. And so please be faithful to that today. Bring faith to our hearts. Strengthen us through the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to see Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. When verses 1 and 2, we see that Jesus entered Jericho. The previous section, the end of, of chapter 18, verses 35 through 43, Jesus encounters a blind man, and it says he encounters him as he drew near to Jericho. Here, as we begin chapter 19, we see this is continuing from there. He's entered the city, and he's passing through the city on his way to Jerusalem. We don't want to forget that. Where is he going? He's headed toward the cross. He's going to Jerusalem. And we learn a lot about Zacchaeus just from these first verses. In fact, really from one phrase. Here's what we're told about him. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, what does that tell us? It tells us a lot. Tax collectors, as we've seen throughout Luke's gospel again and again, were despised. They were hated. Essentially, they were traitors. They had gone from their own people, traitors toward their own people, going to work for Rome, the enemy, And they made their money by stealing from their own people. That's how they got rich. You see, tax collectors, Rome had had set an amount of tax, but tax collectors were free to go to the people, get what was required for Rome, but then take whatever they wanted on top of that, and that's how they made their money. They stole from the people. That was... Zacchaeus, but not only is Zacchaeus a tax collector, it says he's a chief tax collector. It's the only time this expression is used in the Bible. We can assume he had worked his way up to this position over other tax collectors in his region, likely receiving a, a large commission as he organized what they did as they went out and stole from other people as well. So we have this window into the heart of Zacchaeus here. He was a lover of money. He must have been. Zacchaeus had sacrificed his social acceptance, rejected by people, likely had few, if any, friends. Not only that, but we know from earlier in the previous chapter, he's made himself an enemy of God in chapter 16, verse 13. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That's a high price. Zacchaeus, because of his love for money, has sacrificed acceptance with his peers, his own people, 
and has made himself an enemy of God. And really, that's the danger of all idols. Whether your idol is the same as Zacchaeus, the idol of money, you crave it, you want it, you live for it, you love it. Or something else, social status, family, your own children, your spouse, or maybe just a longing for family. Sex, whatever it is, whatever your idol is, that's what idols do. That's the danger of idols. Idols deceive and delight us at the cost of our souls. But there's hope we see in the text. We get to verse 3. It says, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. He's seeking to see who Jesus was. So there's a glimmer of hope here. Seems that maybe Zacchaeus has become disillusioned with his cravings for money. Maybe he's heard about this man, Jesus. He's intrigued. He wants to see who this is and what is he about. What are these stories that he's heard? What is this teaching that he's heard about? Maybe he realizes how empty his life is and that money doesn't bring happiness. Maybe he just recognizes, I'm an outcast. I have nobody. And so he longs, he's seeking to see who Jesus was. But there's a problem, right? There's a problem in verse 3. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. I'm trying to make it through this part without breaking up, choking up. There's hope for the short people, okay? Could have called the sermon that, right? There's hope for us. There's hope for us. On account of the crowd, he could not. Now, that gives us an idea of how big the crowd was from the previous passage, right? Remember the blind man heard the crowd, this, this gathering of this crowd, People going past him, following Jesus. We get, a, we get an idea here of how big this crowd surrounding Jesus had grown to be. Even short people can see through or over a small crowd, right? We're not helpless, right? We can do some things. This crowd is massive. This is a big crowd surrounding Jesus as he's going through Jericho. And he can't see. And likewise, we see how despised he is. If circumstances are different for Zacchaeus, and he was welcomed among the people, he loved by the people, maybe they would have just let the short guy to the front to see. But he can't see. So what does he do? What's he to do? Verse 4, he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus. For Jesus was about to pass that way. Where stature is lacking, zeal is not. He wants to see Jesus. He doesn't give up. He doesn't see the crowd and become overwhelmed and think, well, I just, I'm, I'm just going to miss out. He wants to see Jesus. 
And so he runs on ahead and he comes to this sycamore tree, likely next to the path, next to the road, climbs up into this tree so he can see down into the midst of the crowd to see Jesus. He's making every effort. And at this point, he's simply an observer. He's just looking in to the crowd. He's just looking. Who is this Jesus? But things are about to get very interesting. Zacchaeus doesn't know it. He's curious. He's interested. Who is this Jesus? He doesn't realize it, but his whole world is about to flip upside down. Everything's going to change. Here he is in the tree. Verse 5. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Can you imagine that? What's he thinking now? I just want to see. What is this Jesus like? Why are all these people going after Jesus? Why do they want to be with Jesus? What is Jesus like? Here comes the crowd. Here comes Jesus coming through. And Jesus stops. And turns and looks at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, hurry and come. I hope you know exactly, exactly what that's like. I hope you read that verse, verse 5, and you're like, yeah, I remember. I remember when Jesus stopped right where I was at. He came to me. He met me where I was at, and he called to me, you come to me. I hope you know exactly, exactly what Zacchaeus is feeling here. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I must, I must stay at your house today? Jesus, you're, you're on mission here. You've set your face. Luke chapter 9, verse 51 tells us, everything turns there. You set your face to go to Jerusalem. You're on mission here. What do you mean you must go to his house today? Well, Jesus sees his visit to Zacchaeus as part of his divine mission. That's why, we, why he came. We see that later in the passage, right in verse 10. Why did he come? I came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus, you. I came for you. Here's what I want us to notice here. Whether you're here this morning and you know Jesus and you delight in him or you're here and and you're kind of in the same place Zacchaeus is climbing up into that tree you're just observing you're looking in this morning what is this about who's Jesus about whichever place you're in you love him or you you're just observing and at this point you're still living for yourself I want you to notice this. Jesus invites Zacchaeus to come to him, to receive him, before Zacchaeus repents. Jesus doesn't come to the tree and stop and say, Zacchaeus, here's what I need for you to do. I appreciate your interest, but here's a checklist. Here's some things 
You got to get done and get right. Straighten these out with your life and then I will come to your home. No. Zacchaeus, hurry. Come down. I must go to your house today. Verse 6. So, what does he do? So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Zacchaeus hurries and he comes down and he receives Jesus joyfully. No one's ever treated Zacchaeus like this before. No one's ever welcomed Zacchaeus like this before. No one's ever loved Zacchaeus like this before. So he hurries and comes down and he receives him joyfully. Joy. Zacchaeus climbed into a tree to see Jesus, to observe what is this Jesus like. But the only way for him to truly see who Jesus is, is to accept the Lord's invitation and receive him into his life. And it's true for us, we don't see who Jesus is by standing on the sidelines, looking in, by taking a look at what everyone else is doing. We see him by joyfully receiving him. And that's what Zacchaeus does. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. They're born again. They're given eyes to behold the glory that is Jesus. Zacchaeus, he hurries, he comes down, he receives him joyfully, joyfully. Verse 7, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. Now, what a distinction. You have the crowd who's been going along with Jesus. And you have this guy, this sinner, climbing up into a tree, just wanting to observe about this Jesus And Jesus invites him to come. And there is joy that fills his heart. He accepts. Yes. There's joy. And here you have this crowd that's surrounding Jesus, going along with him to hear from him. And how did they respond? They grumbled. Not everyone's happy with this. The crowd grumbles. How could Jesus do such a thing? Eating with a a sinner like this man. To go into his home. To sit at his table. To receive a man like this. A traitor. A thief. A sinner. How could Jesus accept a man like this? How could he fellowship with a man like this? How could he welcome? How could he eat and drink with a man like this? 
I would ask you this morning, are you more like Jesus or are you more like the crowd here? Jesus welcomed a sinner rejected by men. Before the sinner cleaned himself up and in spite of what the people said. That's grace and love. Lived out. Not just sung. Not just talked about. It's lived out in Jesus. Verse 8. We see the great distinction again. Crowds grumbling. Zacchaeus is rejoicing. Verse 8. Zacchaeus stood. Likely this is in his home. And said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. It's a great, amazing statement. What is it that's happening here in verse 8? It's repentance. Zacchaeus is repenting. He sees that he is a sinful person. He, he sees that what he has done is sin. It's wrong. It's an offense to a holy God. And delighting in Jesus, he repents. Repentance is the joyful response of a true encounter with Jesus Christ. Zacchaeus has been affected, remarkably affected, by Jesus' visit. He's saying here by his actions, now I see. I see that you, Jesus, are better than whatever I was living for. These things that I was giving myself to, these things I was living for, they're nothing. I see now, you, Jesus, are everything. Look at the contrast between Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler earlier in chapter 18. The rich ruler, when he comes to Jesus and, and is not humble thinking that he's doing enough, doing the right things. Jesus says to him, I want you to go and sell all of your possessions and give them to the poor. He walks away sad. He didn't really see who Jesus was. He doesn't understand the worth of the one who's calling him. Zacchaeus, on the other hand, sees how great and how gracious Jesus is, and he joyfully repents. And how amazing his proclamation is. Behold, Lord, Master, King of my life. Lord, behold, the half of my goods I give to the poor. We don't want to forget what verse 2 tells us about Zacchaeus. He was rich. And he says to Jesus, half of it, I give it away. I give half of what I have, half of my riches, I give to the poor. He joyfully gives it. There's no evidence whatsoever here of reluctance and repentance. He sees 
He rejoices and he repents. But he's not done there. Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor and... If I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. Now, let me ask you, has Zacchaeus defrauded anyone? Yes. That's how he made his living. So if he's like other tax collectors, that list is probably pretty long. There's a good chance there's a lot of people on this list. But with joy... If I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. He's not sad. He's joyful. He's received more today than ever in his life. This is the kingdom. Matthew 13, 44 One of the descriptions that Jesus gives of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. This is Zacchaeus. That's him. He realizes I get the treasure, which is Jesus. What what need do I have of, of this? I acquired this by lying, by cheating, by, by stealing, I, I gladly give it back. I happily repent. I see now, Jesus, that you're better than what I was living for. And it's one of the many ways that Jesus describes his kingdom. It's good for us, again, to see the comparison of Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler you remember what Jesus said when he was encountering the rich young ruler after the ruler left and went away sad? Luke chapter 18, beginning with verse 23. But when he heard these things, this is the rich ruler. When he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Jesus shows us through Zacchaeus that God does the impossible. You think you are too sinful or too lost to be saved? Too much of a camel to pass through the eye of a needle? God does the impossible. Whatever your past is, whatever your idols have been, are today, Jesus saves. Jesus forgives. God does what is impossible for man. And so Jesus responds to Zacchaeus' wonderful 
display of repentance in verse 9. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Now what does this mean? Because we don't want to get it backwards. We don't want to read this the wrong way and think that Jesus says, Okay, since you've done these things, or at least are willing to do these things, I will save you. These works are good works. These works are righteous works. And therefore, I will save you. That's not all what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying that Zacchaeus will be saved or now is saved because of what he's done. Jesus is saying here that Zacchaeus has truly been saved. And the reason for his salvation is not Zacchaeus' sacrifice, his work. No, it's that he is truly a son of Abraham. Today, salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. What makes him that? Why is that now true of Zacchaeus? Well, what does Paul tell us? Galatians 3, verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Later in Galatians 3, 29. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham because he has trusted. He has believed in Jesus. He's received him with joy. And so Jesus, in response, says to him, where all can hear, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. He has trusted in me. He has believed in me. In verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus was as lost as anyone could ever be. He's a sinner. Separated from God. Because of his sin. That's that's the story of all of us. We're born in sin. Whether it's being a tax collector and stealing and craving money, desiring all of the things that God has created rather than God who is the creator and savior. Whatever it is, for Zacchaeus, it's it's those things. For for some of us, we, we have other vices. We have other things that we delight in, things that he's created, idols that we bow to rather than him. Whatever it is, we're all born like Zacchaeus. We're born sinners, separated from God. But how wonderful it is that someone came. Jesus says here, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man. Let's remember again. This is the phrase, the the expression, the term that Jesus uses again and again and again and again throughout the Gospel of Luke referring to himself. This is what he calls himself. Why does he call himself that? Let's go back again to Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. Where it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. 
And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is Jesus. This is who he is. This is who he claims to be. Every time he says, I am the son of man. This is what he's pointing to. This is me. To me has been given dominion and glory and a kingdom. All peoples, nations, languages will serve me. My dominion is an everlasting dominion. It will never pass away. This is what Jesus is saying about himself every time he uses that expression, that title for himself. And here we have in verse 10, the son of man, him, the one who reigns, The king came. Why would he, him to whom is given dominion, glory, kingdom, to whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess, why would he leave heaven and come to earth and live among sinful people. That's a problem for a lot of people. People stumble over that. Why would God leave and come to earth and live among sinful people? It was a problem in Jesus's day. They stumbled over it then. People stumble over it today. Jesus answers that question here in verse 10. I came to seek and to save the lost. If God didn't come and seek sinners, no one would be saved. Romans 3, Paul tells us in verse 11, no one seeks for God. No one seeks for God. But God seeks for people. God seeks and saves sinners. Remember in Luke 15, as you go through Luke 15... Jesus gives three stories that picture the love of God seeking sinful people. Verses 1 through 7, a shepherd seeking a lost sheep. Verses 8 through 10, a woman seeking a lost coin. Verses 11 through 32, a father seeking a lost son. And all of these stories show the joy of the father when the lost are found. Zacchaeus was not the only joyful one on this day. God rejoiced. Is Zacchaeus believes and repents. God rejoices when one of his own hurry and come down and receive him joyfully. And so I want to finish our time and ask, how is it? Why can Zacchaeus give his money away? What he had lived for. You can fill it in differently. You don't have to say money whatever it is that you've lived for, how and why can he give that away? How can he, how can he turn away from that and surrender that so joyfully? And the answer is given to us in verse 10. It's because Jesus was giving his life for Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus' response and repentance is so minuscule compared to what Jesus gave for him. Jesus gave his life. Zacchaeus chose to pay back those who had defrauded or that he had defrauded. 
But Jesus, who came, was without sin. He never defrauded anyone. And he chose to pay for the sins of those that sinned against him. He chose to pay for sins even though he hadn't committed any sins. That's how he came to seek and to save the lost. He lived a perfect life. He was sinless and then was counted as a transgressor, a sinner. They crucified him. Why? Why did they crucify Jesus if he was perfect? Because God gave him as a sacrifice. He came to seek and to save. And the way that he saved was by taking the penalty for Zacchaeus' sin and my sin and the sins of all those who would believe in him. God gave him as a sacrifice for our sins. He came to sacrifice himself for our sins so that we could be saved We could be forgiven. We could be rescued like Zacchaeus. I would encourage you, if you realize today that you are lost, that you're living for yourself, you're living for this world, you're not knowing or living for Jesus Christ, you don't know God through him, be like Zacchaeus today. Run to him. Run to see him, welcome him, believe that he went to the cross to pay for your sins and receive him joyfully. Whatever it is that you've been living for, he's inviting you to come to him and receive him. I would encourage you, if that's you, if you know that's you, if you know you're a sinful person and you need to welcome Jesus and surrender your life to him, receive him joyfully today. The prayer room will be open as we sing. would love for you to go there and Wade and Terry will be there. Pray with them. Surrender today. Many of you here, you come because you do know him. You come here because you love him and you want to worship him and you want to live for his glory. You remember that he stopped and called you to receive him. I would ask you, are you joyful? Are you still joyful? Are you displaying the joy of knowing Jesus that we see here In Zacchaeus, joyful to live for Jesus rather than for your former ways, former idols. Joy comes from him. Joy comes from Jesus. Our joy is not dependent on who we are. It's dependent on who he is and the knowledge of him. Or are you caught up in the crowd around Jesus? Or are you still looking to him, desiring to do what he asks with joy? We're going to go into a time where we celebrate what he's done, that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. We're going to take the Lord's Supper, and I would ask you, aren't you so glad? In your hearts right now, are you so happy Are you so thankful? Are you so joyful that Jesus came to seek and save the lost? That one day he looked at you and he called to you, hurry and come. And that by his grace and by his power, you did.
Jesus' coming meant dying and rising again. You and I were sought and then we were bought by the precious blood of Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 1.7, In him... In him we have redemption through his blood. Redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That's what Jesus wants us to remember as we partake of the bread and the cup. His body was broken and his blood was shed so that we might have forgiveness and life in him now and forever. And so as we hold the bread and hold the cup, if you know him, I would encourage you to do that. Hold the bread and hold the cup and contemplate the truth. Jesus, you came and you sought me. You called to me that I might come to you. And it's by your blood that I am forgiven. Let joy seep into your heart as you consider the truth of the gospel. If you don't know him, then let the bread and the cup pass. Paul says, as often as we do this, this is something we do in the body of Christ, those who know Jesus, to remember his sacrifice for us. And Paul says, as often as you do this, you proclaim his death until he comes. And so if you don't know him, you wouldn't really even want to proclaim that. It's not something you delight in. And, and so I would encourage you, just to let the bread and the cup go past. And as it does, contemplate, where am I with God? If this symbolizes forgiveness of sins, where am I? And if you know you haven't been forgiven by God, then today, hurry and come to him and receive him. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Your grace that is incomprehensible. To imagine, you knew, you knew exactly what you were getting into when you looked at Zacchaeus. You knew what he had done. You knew what he was like. You knew what he loved. You knew. And it's true of every one of us. You know everything. You know our past. You know what we have worshipped You know what we have chosen over you, Father. You know our sins today. You know them always. And yet, you came. You came to seek us in the same way that knowing Zacchaeus and who he was and what he had done, you stopped and you looked at him and you said, Come. So you have done that for so many of us. And our hope is that you will do that for all of us. And so I pray, Lord, would you pass by even now and look upon those who do not know you and call them to you. Awaken them. Show your glory among us now. For those of us who call you Lord, who have our hope and our joy in you and what you have done, we know you came to seek and save us. I pray that you'd help us as we contemplate the truths of that and the joy of that. As we hold the bread and the cup, work in our hearts, Lord. No matter what it has been like today or the last week or the last month or the last year or whatever, restore to us today the joy of our salvation. That we would be a people who display you rightly. 
that we would say with our lives, we see you are far better than anything we have ever lived for. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.